Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. McCole Hardman, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson this past year and even into the playoffs. But what kind of luxury is it for you to have those kinds of weapons and you can rely on them outside of just throwing it to Tyreek Hill? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, not only having them and all their different uh, skill sets that they have um, where they can make big plays happen and everything like that, but just the relationships that I've built those guys over the years. Uh, I mean, guys like uh, Byron Pringle, I mean, I've, I've thrown to him for three or four years now. Marcus Robinson, same thing. Um, and then uh, McCall, I've been with him since he's entered the NFL. So just knowing where they're going to be at, knowing how they play, um, and developing those relationships and that chemistry with them, I think helps out a ton when you're out there on the football field. Patrick Mahomes talking about his weapons, and the weapons were utilized to their full extent on Sunday night as the Chiefs beat the Bills. Peter, you know, if they would allow me be, to be the commissioner for one day and I could change one thing, one thing about the NFL, one thing. Overtime. <laughs> no, well, I'm, 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 I'm going to be far more flippant than that. Uh, I, I'm reminded how much I dislike the new conference championship trophies, which look like oversized pieces from the Monopoly game. I'd go back to the old... George Hallis and Lamar Hunt trophies that were kind of thick and substantial, something you'd want to put on your coffee table. Yeah. I love those old trophies. I don't like these new ones. You know, you're probably also the kind of guy who when you write a book one day, you know, after Playmakers, you're going to write a book and it's going to be uh, a coffee table book on coffee tables. I, I can just see that one day. I think that's really what... And so, in other words, why don't you make a trophy that can be a coffee table? That would work. <laughs> that would work. Um, the, 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 the ones they used to use could be. I mean, I, I don't know where you had a flat surface on that thing, but uh, I, I, lo I just love those. There's something about those that, that just scream out old school. This screams out oversized Monopoly piece. That there's some big giant somewhere playing Monopoly and insisting on being the AFC-NFC championship piece instead of the shoe or the – what was always the piece of choice? There was the dog. There was the shoe. Oh, the iron. The, the iron was the best. The iron. The yeah. iron. Yeah. 
right. The iron uh, and the iron thimble. Sharpens. Those are my go-tos. The thimble. Yeah. There was all, I, was, I haven't played Monopoly in years, and I'm kind of glad for that because it like I, I don't think I ever finished a game of Monopoly in my entire life. It just like you do it for an hour and a half, and you realize this is going to take forever. Let's you know. Hey, listen. Let's go watch Mike, one of the three channels on TV. If you and I TV. played Monopoly, if you and I played Monopoly, I guarantee there would be blood. <laughs> I will drink your milkshake, <laughs> and I will take all of your fake money. All right, uh, Bengals Chiefs when they got together. And, and Peter, you know, it's funny. I said this a few times yesterday, and Sims was like, that doesn't sound right, but it is right. They played this month, the Chiefs and the Bengals. You know, we this had rematches month. last weekend yeah. of games from September. These two teams played January 2nd, Both and the Bengals won. Yeah. Unbelievable. Um, offensively for the Bengals, we saw that the Chiefs refused to devote the resources to taking away Jamar Chase, and the Bengals made them pay for it. And, you know, yesterday I was trying to sound out with Sims. Do, do the Bengals, like, do they try to run the ball? Like when Joe Mixon had 30 carries against either the Steelers or the Raiders, those back-to-back games, he had well over 100 yards in each game. He had 28 carries one game, 30 the other. Or do they just they just come out and just wing it? And I have a feeling they're going to come out and wing it. They're going to come out and throw to the open guy. Joe Burrow is going to be tasked with finding the guy who's – Who's available to catch the football, and he's gonna, and he's he, they're gonna try to go toe to toe, drive for drive, point for point with the Chiefs. I just feel like that's what they're gonna do because that's who they are trying to be. And and even if this game would dictate a different approach, I think they're gonna go down swinging because this is who they're gonna be next year. So why be something different now? Look, I think the one interesting thing about this game is that. And this really, really sticks with me, okay? I covered the Bengals in San, uh, against San Francisco about six weeks ago, seven weeks ago. And I sat with Zach Taylor, socially distanced, before the game, uh, the day before the game. And one of the things that we talked about is the threat of having three guys who, in their offense even though it hasn't played out this way this year, are basically equivalent puzzle pieces, chess pieces. <clears throat> and that is Boyd, Higgins, Chase. Nobody would sit here and say that the most dangerous one isn't Jamar Chase. We all get it. He's the guy who everybody thinks there's the number one guy. And I get it, and they're right. However, you watch some of the plays this year that Joe Burrow has made to both other receivers. And I can tell you on Sunday, if Joe Burrow comes out and he sees that they are, quote, taking Jamar Chase away, he's going to say, I am Joe Egalitarian today, not Joe Burrow. I'm happy going to Higgins. I'm happy going to Boyd. Look it on the play when he almost stepped out of bounds. And who does he find alone in the end zone on the phantom whistle game? Boyd. And so I look at this game, Mike, and this is the reason. This game is the reason why they took Chase ahead of Panay Sewell. Okay? And it's very simple. They want to make it too hard for any secondary to cover all three guys. And, the, and at some point, 
I don't know who it's going to be, but at some point, Daniel Sorensen is going to get ex- exposed or, or, or who knows? Pick, pick a defensive back. But they are going to be singled against a really, really good player. So I think that's how the Bengals are going to try to play this game. That play that we just showed, I think, is my favorite play of the entire year. When he catches yeah. that short pass, and there are seven Chiefs in the screen, and he just keeps going like Larry Fitzgerald shot out of the can in Super Bowl 43. But Larry Fitzgerald was being placed, uh, chased by James Harrison and Troy Polamalu. This is seven guys. One of them surely had the speed to catch him, and they had no chance to get him. And Peter... Think of it. Think of this. Not that the and Sim said this yesterday. The Bills didn't do anything exotic to take away Stephon Diggs on Sunday night, or the Chiefs didn't do anything to take away Stephon Diggs. But Gabriel Davis had four touchdowns. So you know, that's the Bengals are going to be aware is. of that. Somebody's going to somebody's going to if, if Jamar Chase doesn't have a big night, somebody else is going to, and I don't think it's going to be Joe Mixon. I think it's going to be T. Higgins or Tyler Boyd. Yeah. You know, I think the one other thing that's so interesting about this matchup is, and Mahomes talked about it earlier in that press conference clip, Mike. Did you hear when he said he's been throwing to Byron Pringle for years? And I think that is the secret of what happened this year with Kansas City. And that is we all kind of left him for dead because they had so many injuries to key guys. They had lost Sammy Watkins. You know, they, they've lost a bunch of their guys. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire hurt. And, and, you know, and so what Andy Reid makes absolutely sure that he does in the hot August practices, in the practices during the week, during the season, you know what he does? He makes sure that Byron Pringle and Jarek McKinnon get a lot of reps and that they are able, you know, Jarek McKinnon has got to be the, a total pro right now at running the wheel route out of the backfield. And, and, and so the chiefs are going to never leave themselves short because of injury. That's what this year has proven to me. So look, I think there's a chance that the big stars of this game, a chance, I'm not saying it's going to happen. <clears throat> There's a chance the big stars of this game could be T. Higgins and Byron Pringle, as crazy as that sounds. But we saw it last week with Gabriel Davis, and I would not be surprised if that's the way it goes in Kansas City on Sunday. Well, and what Mahomes was able to do last week really was spread it around to his stars and his supporting cast. You mentioned Jarek McKinnon. He's been a godsend for the Chiefs recently. He's a guy who was was very good in Minnesota as the second option, went to San Francisco, and that was the the big exciting for Kyle Shanahan free agent acquisition he made a few years ago, but McKinnon had a knee injury right at the end of training camp just yeah. before the start of the regular season, wiped out all of that year, wiped out all the next year, kind of gone and forgotten. And and he's been that guy. He's that he's that force they need that can run it and catch it and make things happen. He's been a difference maker. Uh and and they they, they just do a great job of just naturally spreading it around. They don't force it anywhere. Mahomes is the ultimate 
I'm going where I think I'm going to have the biggest impact on any given play. When someone, you know, whether it's a design play like the one we just saw where you find McKinnon, it's a screen and off he goes, or you got guys running down the field, you know, wherever he sees that opening, that's where he's going to throw the football. That's what's great about the Chiefs. They're so good. You, so every one of their guys is going to get to eat at some point. It's not going to be four touchdowns yeah. for one. It's going to be all of them getting opportunities. I think, and look, that touchdown pass that we just ran, the underhand to Jarek McKinnon, is just, it's why it's so hard to beat Kansas City. It just is. Because they've got the weirdest crap you've ever seen. It's weirder than Favre. And Favre had some weird, weird stuff. And this is weirder because Patrick Mahomes can throw like Kent Tocqueville or Dan Quisenberry on one play. He can throw a 92-mile-an-hour fastball on another play to Kelsey. And then he can absolutely, you know, give a, you know, a chest pass like John Stockton um, on another play. He's unbelievably unpredictable, more so than any quarterback in the 102-year history of the NFL. And that's why it's going to be so hard. You know, Mike, it's one of the reasons why last week that I was so disappointed that, you know, not disappointed that Kansas City won the coin flip. Don't get me wrong. I was disappointed when we went to overtime and I'm watching the game and I'm saying, you know, whoever wins the coin flip is going to score on the first drive. And I'm so disappointed. First of all, the game's going to end. And second of all, that one of these quarterbacks is, gonna, is going to get totally screwed and is not going to be able to touch the ball. I mean, and that is what, you know, I'm, I'm not even trying to segue into overtime. I'm simply trying to say that Patrick Mahomes basically is not going to lose a game like that if he has any equal chance. And he did. And, you know, let's go back one. Let's go just go back now three years to Kansas City, New England, overtime, you know, where Tom Brady gets the ball first. And, Mike, it was the same thing that day. If Patrick Mahomes won the coin, if Kansas City won the coin flip that day, do you have any doubt in your mind that Kansas City was going to win the game? I didn't. None whatsoever. Same way I thought Brady was going to win the game if they won the coin flip. Football shouldn't be like that. You and I did a, a video earlier this week for Yahoo where we talked about overtime. And, you know, one of the things that began to gain traction last year was the Ravens spot and choose idea where one team picks where the drive starts and the other one decides whether to be offense or defense. And you made an excellent point. If spot and choose was in play on Sunday night, the Bills would have picked the one yard line, 99 yards away from Paydirt, and the Chiefs would have said, we'll take the ball. Because they would have gone 99 yards. That's the flaw in spot and choose. Some offenses are so good that you can back them up against the doorstep of their own end zone. And they're still going to make it 99 yards to score. So even that isn't as fair as it needs to be in one of these games. And we've seen them now. We've seen lightning strike twice in three years. Where the offenses are playing at such a high level the idea of only one of the offenses being on the field in overtime makes it seem completely and totally 
unfair. That that's the one. You know, we talk about how great last weekend was, and it was, but the one shadow on those four games was the fact that at the end of the day, it was unsatisfying. Now, maybe some at the league office would say, "Hey, leave them wanting more." That's not the way you want to leave people wanting more. Yeah. Well, look, you know, my first thought was at the end of that game was that Howard Katz, Mike North, and the scheduling team, uh, you know, right now on Monday, I bet got their first phone call from either uh, NBC, CBS, uh, you know, or ESPN. We want Kansas City Buffalo next year. It's the game of the year. And, And we aren't even through with this year yet. But... I do think, Mike, that we're probably going to have some legitimate traction for trying to change the overtime rule, at least for, remember, 11 years ago, 12 years ago now, excuse me, 12 years ago, they changed the overtime rule at first for playoffs only so that both teams would get a chance to have touch the ball, assuming the first team didn't score a touchdown. And I think they will take that phrase out of the rule at some point. I can't predict whether it'll be this year or at some point in the future, but I do think they're going to make a rule that says both teams could touch it. And look, maybe, and this would be acceptable to me, and I know at least one prominent person in the NFL, if the first team scores a touchdown in the extra point, the second team, if it scores a touchdown, has to go for two. So that would then dictate to you whether you wanted to get the ball first or second, at least in my opinion. Yeah, I, I, I think that that uh, that would be better. Many things would be better than what we currently have. What we currently have is not good enough. The challenge is finding the best solution, the most fair solution that also limits exposure to the players. You don't want to have, as you said the other day, right. these overtimes last forever. But in theory, they can last forever. Currently, you could have you know, a three-overtime game like they had Christmas Day 1971 between the Chiefs and the Dolphins. So hopefully they'll come up with the best possible outcome once the dust settles on the season. Before the dust settles on Championship Sunday, the Rams and the 49ers will get together for the third time. We'll get you ready for that one when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. For the world's greatest athletes. This is the showdown we've been waiting for. There is nothing like competing on the world's biggest stage. And when that stage is Paris, anything can happen. I have never seen anything like this. How about that? An Olympics unlike any other. What a performance! The Paris Olympics, this summer on NBC and streaming on Peacock. What if millions of black Americans had been compensated for slavery? 
Join me, Tremaine Lee, as I explore the untold story of one of the only black Americans who ever was. I talk to his descendants and discuss how reparations forever change their family's trajectory and imagine a reality where reparations are paid to the rest of black America. Into America presents Uncounted Millions, The Power of Reparations, a Black History Month series. New episodes drop Thursdays. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. A question like that is just giving Sean and myself way too much credit. Um, we're, We're coaches. Like watch what's going on on that field and some of the players out there and the people that are competing and uh, think that it's about Sean and I. I mean, I know he doesn't feel that way and he knows I don't feel that way. So, and you know, the entertainment of this business is cool and stuff because it brings a lot of fans and um, brings a lot of money for everybody. But um, I think that's kind of pretty ridiculous. I don't give coaches that much credit. Yeah, I don't believe any of that. I think that Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are keenly aware of their rivalry and they find extra motivation, whether it's motivation to win or fear-based motivation in this showdown between the two coaches. Yeah, it's not like, you know, a duel in the street because you do have your team that's actually the ones out there playing the game. But the coaches have so much of an impact over the planning, the execution, trying to fool the other guy's team. I mean, that's what it's all about. Sim says it all the time. Shanahan's first order of business when it's time to game plan offensively is how is he going to screw over the other team in the running game? It's a chess match, and it's a guessing game. And, of course, it's about the coaches because you need to understand how he thinks. He needs to understand how you think, and so far, after Sean McVay started 3-1 and one against Shanahan, six in a row, and I think with each passing victory, Shanahan feels greater and greater pressure to keep it going. Mike, you know, you talk about the decisions that each guy has to make, and I think it is a totally, totally fascinating story. Whatever happens in this game, I think one of the things is going to come down to because I think the game's going to be close. And one of the things it's going to come down to a coach's decision late in the game. Last week, I detail, or this week in my column in Football Morning in America, I detail what happened on that vital third down at the 38-yard line that, uh, that Green Bay had, uh, or that San Francisco had at Green Bay. And basically, Kyle Shanahan had called a pass play on this because they just had gotten stoned with Debo Samuel for a zero yard gain. So they call a timeout and he finally, finally, you know, after they call the timeout and decide he calls the pass play, then the, then the 49ers call a timeout and Shanahan says, wait a minute, wait a minute, change my mind. We're going to run. I'm going to trust Debo with this. And then Debo Samuel obviously gains nine yards They kicked the winning field goal. But I only say that because, in my opinion, both of these guys are unafraid of making the tough call. Because, Mike, I bet on Monday morning, if the Packers had lost and he called a timeout to go to another Debo Samuel run after getting stonewalled for zero on Debo Samuel with that great Green Bay front... I would just bet 
that you and half the free world would have said, what's Shanahan doing? Why in the world did he run Debo against that brick wall again? He should have thrown it. He should have, whatever. But that is why these guys are both good coaches. They're unafraid. That's right. They're unafraid, and they are keenly aware that you ultimately do have to make good decisions at the right time and hope that your guys execute them the way they've been coached to do it. It all comes down to the coaches. The coach is the most important, other than the quarterback. If you and, and, and Shanahan's good enough to overcome, frankly, not a very good quarterback. I'll do respect to Garoppinon or, as Alexa Casey has suggested, Qopolo. Either way, there is that group of <laughs> 49ers fans that – are unreasonable in their belief in Jimmy G, and he could be back in the Super Bowl again, and maybe this year we'll have another chance to make a championship throw and 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 fail to actually deliver. Uh, the the difference though in this one could be Peter. The Rams have great players who are currently playing great. They've had great players for most of the yeah. year. They recently are playing great, and it could be that the Rams reach a critical mass where nothing Kyle Shanahan comes up with is going to make a difference i mean that's one of the reasons why you see great college teams doesn't matter what plays they run they're just great players playing great and they're going to steamroll you physically maybe the rams are at that point it's not going to be easy against the 49ers to pull it off but maybe the rams are at that point where it does minimize the coaches because the rams have put together a lineup of all stars who are shining as the games become more and more important hey look mike you know we have had our fun, as has every person who analyzes the NFL, at saying, what in the world are the Rams doing? Signing and trading for all these guys, who these veteran guys, a two and a three for Von Miller, what are they doing? And look, the Rams have to win to make Von Miller and Odell Beckham and, and all these guys seem like they were good decisions. But I'll just say this, that Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. are two of the five or six guys who down the stretch of this season continue to come up with play after play after play. I mean, you know, I'm not saying this is the biggest game of the season, but at Baltimore, Von Miller and Odell Beckham Jr. made the biggest plays of a game that the Rams had no business winning. And they won because of those two guys. So all I'm saying is that when you look at the way this season is going for the Rams, it's good that they traded for Odell Beckham Jr. and got Von Miller at the trading deadline. And right away at that moment, in the first few weeks, it didn't look like they were you know, big, big difference makers. The last month, they are difference makers. Yeah, I mean, that's the key. They didn't acquire those guys for them to come in and make an immediate splash. The idea is building toward making the team better January, than it was last year. Yeah. They've already succeeded. They've already succeeded. They got farther than they, they did last year. That was why it was so critical to win in the division round because if they had lost, the question would be, look at, look at everything you did, look at all the moves you made, and you still didn't get any deeper into the postseason than you did with Jared Goff as your quarterback. Now's the opportunity to get back to a Super Bowl and try to win it. They got there with Goff and company. Now's their chance to win it with somebody else. And they have the players now who can do it. Can the 49ers uh, 
running the ball because we know that's their look. If and and I th- Sim said this yesterday, and I agree with him. Rams defense needs to load up and take away the running game and force Jimmy Garoppolo to to beat them with his arm to challenge Jalen Ramsey and company with his throws. Can the Rams avoid getting steamrolled by the 49ers running game because we've seen it happen. We saw it on the Monday night in OBJ's debut. We saw it even down 17-0. The 49ers didn't abandon the run. They still can figure out how to get those openings and pop guys free and gain yards that way. Do you think the Rams, after having been burned by this so many times, are going to have a scheme that's going to work to slow down that running game? Here, here's sort of how I look at this from the 49ers standpoint, Mike. You know, Debo Samuel has become a weapon uh, in both areas. Obviously, running the ball and being really dangerous deep downfield. And so I think what you have to see in this game and what I want to see in this game is the Rams' defensive plan for Debo Samuel all over the field. And it's easy to say you've got a plan, like Mike Tyson said, until you get punched in the mouth. But this game, the reason that it's so important is because the 49ers have shown that if Debo isn't a big impact player in the game, it's going to be hard for them to win. So I want to see everything that the Rams have in store for Debo coming right out of the chute. And, And that is how you know, I think, whether they're going to be able to find a way to stop him. Will they get pressure on Garoppolo to not allow him to have the time to throw downfield? And will he, uh, will Samuel be able to figure out a way in traffic, which he will be in the entire game, to be able to have enough moves uh, to make the kind of yardage that he did not just in that game against the Rams, but at vital points like he did in the game against Green Bay. And Debo Samuel is the epitome of the kind of player that the 49ers have been looking for and finding. Kyle Shanahan spoke about this yesterday when they were scouting Debo Samuel. A guy who embraces contact, a guy who will roll out of bed and kick your ass, a guy who doesn't need to practice intensity in football with tackling to the ground and, you know, the things that they used to do in training camp in two-a-days. They don't do that anymore. But your guys have to be able to do it when it's time to. They go out and find guys who can do it, who relish the opportunity to do it when the opportunity comes. That's what Debo Samuel is. Inflict not punishment in a in, you know in a in a malicious way, but it's football. There's physicality, and he imposes yeah. his will on them before they impose their will on him. And those are the guys that they've managed to find. And John Lynch deserves credit for that. And oh, what a shock! A guy who physically imposed his will on people for his entire career knows how to spot other guys who can do the same thing. Let's take a break. When we return, we're going to go back to the coach and GM carousel speed round style. PFT Live, Friday edition, returns right after this. Time now for today's speed round, brought to you by Verizon 5G, and let's get right to it. Interesting item came up yesterday as Byron Lefwich, the Jaguars, talking about a contract, Peter, unless they aren't. Who knows? Who knows where it all stands currently? Here's the tweet from Mike Jarecki, who's been covering the Cardinals for years. Hearing the Jaguars are close to hiring 
Adrian Wilson as their GM and Byron Leftwich as their head coach. That speaks to the power play that apparently has been going on. Not necessarily about money for Byron Leftwich, it's about getting Trent Balky out as the GM and Adrian Wilson in. That would be fascinating if it happens. It got quiet after that. But you see what Balky's trying to do. Like Balky brought in Vic Fangio, the former Broncos coach, for an interview. Leftwich is the guy they've been focused on. Balky's been the very controversial subject there. He inspired all the fans to show up in clown suits. Not that he wanted to, but they want him out. And who knows where this is going. But, you know, I look, dysfunctional teams do dysfunctional things. There's a chance, though, they're going to come out of this dysfunction doing the right thing. Mike, you know what I've heard inside the Jaguars that Balky has basically said internally that if I'm the problem, I'll step aside. And, you know, we'll see if that indeed is the case. Um, I don't, that certainly isn't looming, but just my absolute gut feeling when this ends is that a guy who's been in charge of personnel the last three years, he's been in charge of personnel is I think five and whatever it is, six and 43 over those three years, you know, obviously the fans are not going to have a lot of faith in them. So just my guess, my gut feeling is that when the Jaguars come out of this, they will have a new coach and a new general manager, not just a new coach. I think the Urban Meyer thing was such a disaster. You just got to clear the decks and start over again. I think that's where a lot of the fan discontent comes from. Um, but uh, stay tuned, Jacksonville. We think you'll have an eventual coach at some point. Are the Giants limiting their head coaching candidate pool, Peter, by making it so clear as they did the other day when Joe Shane was introduced as the GM, that Daniel Jones is their guy at quarterback. I don't think there was any way that they were ever going to think of dumping Daniel Jones this year. And I think that even though John Mara and Steve Tisch said to the GM, you can do whatever you want, the the codicil to that, Mike, the asterisk to that is you can do whatever you want, but Daniel Jones is going to be our quarterback this year, this year. And in my opinion, Mike, I think they're absolutely 1000% right. Terry Bradshaw comes out with a documentary this week, this coming week on HBO. And in that documentary, he said, if I was playing today, the Steelers would have cut me after three years because I was a disaster. I was awful. And so how in the world do you judge Daniel Jones after these three years, especially year three, when your offensive line continues to be awful and the guy, the two guys who you brought in to be your great receiving combo platter, you know, the, you, you draft one, Kadarius Tony. And then you get one uh, from, from the Lions in free agency. And they're hurt the whole year. And so I think the Maras, are, the Maras, the Tishes, they basically have said, we're giving this guy one more year and then let's see. Do you pick up his option for 2023? Because Sims and I talked about this just no. real quickly. Doesn't it send a mixed message, though, when they came out so strong in favor of Jones? Now by May 3rd, they're going to say, no. yeah, we, but, but we don't like him enough to commit to him for two years. But you don't know. 
You don't know. This is not, this, you don't like him enough. You just simply don't know. And if you have to pay him above market in 2023, that's the risk you take. If Daniel Jones gets hurt again or he becomes a turnover machine again, then you know after this year you're starting anew and you're not going to be burdened with whatever the number is, $23 million on the cap for a guy you don't want anymore. Do you think the Carolina Panthers are happy that they, they exercise the option of Sam Darnold? No, they're not. So you play this year, you sing for your supper, and you see what happens after this year. What's the most likely landing spot for Brian Flores up to and including just deciding to take a year off and jump into it next year? You know, I, I don't know. My absolute guess would be Houston, but that's all it'd be. It'd be a guess. You know, Mike, I think that the fact that it has taken now uh, 20 days... Brian Flory's been on the street now 19 days as of today. But the fact that he's been on the street that long tells me that everybody who said the day he was fired, oh, he's going to have his choice of jobs. There's a reason that he doesn't have his choice of jobs. And it's because everybody wonders, why in the world does this guy, who basically was 500 with a struggling quarterback, either no quarterback or a struggling quarterback, did a hell of a job. Got seven-game winning streak this year. And look, all the personality stuff, Mike, I think everybody is checking out. And there's got to be at least something to it. There's a reason why you have four offensive line coaches, four quarterback coaches, and four offensive coordinators in three seasons. There's a reason for that. You can't just say, eh, well, didn't fit, didn't fit. I mean, that's got to be – that's got to be – on the head coach, or at least a big part on the head coach. Still back-to-back winning records for the first time in a generation in Miami and swept the Patriots. So part of it, too, is I think he's being very careful. He knows he's got one more shot. The Wade Phillips, Norv Turner, three tries to be a head coach. That doesn't happen anymore. You get two as a head coach. He wants his second one to count. Um, I so I look. I think the Giants are still in play. I think the Giants are in play. Definitely. I think it's, I think it's Brian yep. Flores or Brian Dayball in in New York. Do you agree? Me too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Quesi, what if Adolfo the Dolphins? Mensa. Go ahead. But what if the Dolphins? What if the Dolphins kind of throw a trump card on the table and steal Dayball before? Then probably you are going Flores with the Giants. Well, just like, as you said, everyone needs to do their homework about Flores, whoever's going to go to Miami needs to do their homework about Miami, not just currently, but the history. I'd want to talk to Jeff Ireland, Joe Philbin, Donna Ponte about what went on there. It's all the dysfunction that happens because the cat is permanently away. Steven Ross isn't there. That leads to all sorts of problems. All right. Kwesi Adolfo Mensa, the new GM of the Vikings. Here's the one thing that I'll say. And I said this as it relates to the Giants, the Bears, and I'll say it as it relates to the Vikings. Let your GM hire the coach he wants because that, along with coach quarterback, that relationship is critical. They need to work together, especially in Minnesota, where, again, the cat is permanently away. The Wilfs don't live and work in the building. Yeah, I think that this is going to be a call that the owners are basically saying, hey, look, we hired a trustworthy general manager 
who John Lynch absolutely swears by, the 49ers absolutely swear by, that the Cleveland Browns absolutely swear by. And, you know, why would you bring in a guy like that if you're going to honcho the coaching search? They're doing the right thing in allowing this sort of brainiac general manager to put his stamp on the team and to pick the coach he wants. Uh, we, we shall see uh, how that all goes. But you're right. That's the next big decision for the Vikings to make. Let's take a break. When we return, show me something draft for the championship Sunday for the 2021 season. We'll be right back. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL. Here we are. Show me something. Championship Sunday edition. Peter, as always, you are up. And again, there will be no Daniel Jones mentioned, although he's had plenty of play today, much more than I thought he would get. You're away. Hey, you know, show me something, Matthew Stafford. I mean, this is the easiest one. I feel almost like uh, having a three inch putt on the golf course. Just pick it up. You know, Matthew Stafford, this is why he was brought to this city this is why he brought was brought to this franchise this is why a coach handpicked him a year ago this weekend to be the long-term quarterback this is not a one-year deal so it's not like if this doesn't work out the trade with the lions was a disaster but this is the first time you say that this is why they got this guy and in my opinion matthew stafford in his first two playoff games has basically said i know i understand i get it i am going to rise to the challenge so show me something matthew stafford and mike i think he will and and he did with that throw i think that throw at the end of the division round game may have been the moment where if they win the super bowl we look back to that and say that's where they won the super bowl Yeah. yeah they still have more throws to make and more plays to make but that's the moment where it all changed for the rams and it all changed for Matthew Stafford. Look, if you're, if you're going to leave me Jimmy Garoppolo, I'm going to take Jimmy Garoppolo. Show me anything, Jimmy Garoppolo, <laughs> especially if the Rams take away the run. He's going to have to win the game or lose the game with his arm. Show me something, Jimmy Garoppolo, a.k.a. Garoppanon, a.k.a. Q, a.k.a. Qopolo. A lot of letters there. Look, show me something, Debo Samuel. Because as much as we talk about Debo Samuel and what a hidden weapon he is no longer at all eyes will be on him. It's easy for us to say, well, you know, hey, they still got George Kittle. You know, they still got this and that. You know, this is a Debo Samuel game. He's got to not only move the chains, but you know what he's got to do, Mike? He's got to move the clock. I think one of the jobs of the 49ers in this game is to limit the number of possessions that the Rams get. And they do that by Debo Samuel you know, converting third downs and keeping the clock going. Show me something, Debo Samuel. 
Show me something, Joe Burrow, and I don't say it as I doubt you. I want to be entertained. Are you not entertained? I want to be entertained. And this is the this is it. This is it. This is the babyface killer. This is grown-up Macaulay Culkin from Home Alone. This is Joe Burrow's moment. And, you know, I suspect he watched every minute of the game on Sunday night between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes saying, I get to go against one of those guys. Not, oh, boy, I fear it. I get to show what I can do next week against the winner of this game. I can't wait, and I can't wait to see what he does. Show me something, Patrick Mahomes. And look, as I echo the first paragraph of what you just said about Joe Burrow, whether Patrick Mahomes wins or loses this game is not going to have, is not going to be in the second paragraph of his New York Times obituary one day. But the reason I bring him up is because Every time he plays. And let's just look at the last 12 months. Beat Josh Allen at home, you know, to get to the Super Bowl. And then obviously lost to Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. Then this year, this month, beats Josh Allen in one of the games of the century. And now has to come and beat another challenger to his throne. Okay. And so to me... They keep coming for Patrick Mahomes, and he keeps showing them that he's got enough to beat them, beat them back. And so I want to see it again. I want to see Patrick Mahomes beat Joe Burrow. So show me something, Patrick Mahomes. Last one for me, Von Miller. Show me something. This is why they brought the guy with the pedigree, the championship credential, the Super Bowl MVP trophy, the guy who can take advantage of all the attention that's paid to one of the great defensive linemen of all time and Aaron Donald, Von Miller, show me something. And I have a feeling that he will definitely do that on Sunday. Let's go ahead and take a break. We'll wrap things up. Friday edition PFT Live. We'll be back right after this. Peter. Who do you like this weekend? Real quickly. I have already taken the Rams and the Chiefs, and I know I'm going to regret it. I fear I'm going to regret it. How about you? I hate to copy you. I'm taking the Rams and the Chiefs. But of all the years I've covered the NFL, both underdogs winning would surprise me this much. And I wouldn't be upset about it at all. Thanks for joining us today. Have a look and a listen at some of the folks who are involved in putting this show on the air. See you Monday. Suck up trying to win it. Got it. They finally have a kicker in Tampa Bay. Roddy brings out a crowd, as he always does. It is so great to see the people back with us. Deep downfield has a man open, and it's caught at the 15-yard line by Van Jefferson. And he gets up and rumbles to the end zone. He's up in the air as he throws it to Hollywood Brown. Touchdown. Once in a while, this guy will flash something that kind of takes your breath away. I am definitely taking Tom Brady and the Bucks and whoever is holding Rodney Harrison's umbrella right now. Oh, seriously, <laughs> what is going on there? How know. soft is he? Seriously. Here comes Tom Brady. And there is your record. It is off the goalpost. No good. 
just inside the tunnel off of the field. And he says, McDermott does, they are eating sandwiches, although a couple have complained to me that there's too much peanut butter on the sandwiches. It's like 70-30 with the jelly, so they're not enjoying those as much. Sometimes there are just those plays that make that season-ending highlight reel, and that is going to be one of them. And the Smith fumble forced by the defensive star, T.J. Watt. Ready to go as well. What do we have here? Oh, guys. <laughs> they gave me a Brady jersey and just put a one over it, huh? That's what happened? No name. <laughs> and it's pouring in Santa Clara right now. Stafford gets spun Look down. Out. Fires it away. It's picked off. Stafford, boy, that's a huge mistake for him. Four-man rush. And that's going to be picked off in the 24 by Fires for the touchdown. Man, oh, it's Keith Jackson would say, whoa, Nilly. Can you believe that? Back to back. Mahomes, ton of time, escapes, goes to the end zone. It's Williams there, and he makes the grab. Oh, my goodness. Herbert fires open, making the grab. Mike Williams down the sideline. High steps his way in for the touchdown. What a game this is. Everyone grab a turkey leg. Go ahead, dig in. This is your Thanksgiving reward, guys. I mean, I took too big of a bite. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Go Bills. Intercepted by Daniel Sorensen. Sorensen's going to go all the way for a touchdown. Wow. The definition of, of doppelganger. That's pretty much dead on. Look out, picked off Rasul Douglas. And Douglas will take it all the way for a touchdown. For us to have a chance, for us to affect Tom Brady, it's got to be on the D-line. Oh, and they got to him. A sack, Cameron Jordan. Brady late pressure. Brady will go down for the fourth time tonight. Oh, yeah, that's good stuff right there. God bless America. <laughs> Love it. Intercepted, it's the Marcus Lawrence. Down the sideline, he goes. And look at that, into the end zone. It is a party. They are pulling out all the tricks. They're going to have some fun. From the 11, Aaron dealing over the middle. Touchdown, Adams. They've done it again. We are here today to light the torch for Al Davis and John Madden and all of those great Raider players who played for John that he loved so much. Anything can happen here. 47-yard attempt. Snap good, hold good, and Raiders in, Chargers out, Steelers in. NBC Sports, home of Super Bowl 56. Thanks you for watching this presentation of the National Football League. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.